Hello and welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hey Jason, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Another remote podcast as seems to be the norm for the recent months. So please do excuse any technical challenges that we have. I think we have it working pretty smoothly now. So those should be few and far between if they do occur. All right. So what are we talking about this week, Todd? So we're going to do a little bit of a follow-up on the periodization from the last full episode, and we're going to talk about some alternatives to the standard periodization setup. I think you covered well last time what periodization is, and just to recap, is this idea that you're building sort of with a plan over time and setting up your training over a course of a year or several years, and you have macrocycles, mesocycles, and microcycles, which are the smaller chunks of your training that you're programming to fit your individual performance goals for your different races. And typically within a mesocycle, we're used to a, a stair-step pattern. So you know, the first week is one load, the second week is a little bit more than that, and the third week is more than that, and then you will typically have a rest week as the fourth week, and so on and so forth throughout your different cycles you're continually building. And so these are some alternatives to that very standard linear periodization. All right. So let's hear it. And I guess uh, they all have sort of their own purpose for certain types of riders or they're intended for people who don't quite fit the standard periodization model. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Or um, some sometimes it's you just want to spice it up, right? Maybe you're getting a little bit stale or your train's not progressing as you might hope or expect with the standard periodization. and maybe it's time to uh, visit something new. So with that in mind, I just want to lay out four basic principles that applies to standard linear periodization or any of these uh, modified forms of periodization. So one is progressive overload. That was the first thing I mentioned. So the idea is that over time, you're challenging yourself more and more and it obviously it has some upper limit. It has some intent behind it such that you don't end up becoming overtrained, but that you are over time increasing the workload for yourself because that's how you're going to get the super compensation and ultimately the benefit from the training that you're doing. The second principle that applies here is specificity. So two pieces here. One, practice how you play. So you want to train the specific systems that are specific to the goals or the energy systems or the performance element that you're looking to improve the most. So, you know, for if you do short races, then maybe more high intensity training. If you do really long races, then maybe really focusing on the aerobic system and being able to be on the bike for a long time. Your training has to be somewhat specific to the event that you're trying to target. And within that, we also know that uh, we need to change the different elements. So we can't just do long rides all the time. Otherwise, we're going to cap out our benefit that we get from doing the, the long rides unless I guess they keep getting longer over time. So we need to manipulate within our different cycles, the intensity, duration, uh, and the frequency perhaps of the workouts. Two more things. So one is reversibility. We say this as if you don't use it, you lose it. I think we all know this. If we don't ride, if we don't train hard, we lose some fitness. Um, that's going to be true of any of these things that we're talking about in these training cycles and even the individual energy systems, uh, they ebb and flow. So if you train one very specifically for a long time, then some of the other ones may lose some efficiency or lose some of their peak effectiveness. And then the last thing, um, which is important for your training independent of how you structure it within 
these different periodization cycles is understand the individuality. So you as a rider have different strengths and different weaknesses, and your training probably needs to do two things. One, improve upon your weaknesses, and two, you know, enhance your strengths. So with those things in mind, I'm going to lay out some different frameworks for how you can have alternatives to the standard four-week mesocycle periodization approach. All right, let's get started. Uh, so the first one, uh, this one is going to apply to the athlete who maybe recovers a little bit slower throughout their training. So this is maybe a novice athlete who just doesn't have the big base of years of training behind them, or perhaps a, a master's athlete, maybe someone that's over 50 and the body just doesn't recover quite as quickly as it may, ha may have when you were younger. You may adapt and break from the typical seven day week cycle. And so there's two ways to do this. Um, the way they approach one, one approach to this is instead of having a four week mesocycle, you just shorten to three weeks. So you do two weeks of base one week one, and then a little higher volume week two, and then you have the recovery week on week three. Uh, that's one option. Or the other option is you actually lengthen out the weeks a bit. So you don't go by a calendar week, you actually adjust and you make a week nine days, and then you can insert some extra recovery days between your hard workouts. And then with, then you still have a three week, nine, three times nine days, plus a five day recovery week. So you shorten that and that way you can adapt your cycle a little bit. And so it ends up being net longer per mesocycle. So you maybe have fewer cycles per year, but it allows for additional recovery between each of the workouts. Uh, so those are just two different approaches if recovery is a limiting factor. Uh, so you know, there's many ways to measure your recovery, but if you find that you're having difficulty getting to that second hard workout in the week, perhaps, uh, this may be something to look into, provided everything else is clear. Like there's no, you know, you're not sick or something else isn't getting in your way in terms of keeping you from recovering the way you should. I would say for this approach to an alternative to periodization, I would say that my initial reaction was someone who has an active job, like potentially a blue collar worker or um, someone who's always on their feet may benefit from this as well because they could also see decreases in recovery if they are increasing their stress throughout the day. And then I think also people who have really stressful jobs, whether that's sort of the stereotype of people in the financial industry or also uh, maybe a collegiate rider who has a crazy semester. This is, you know, second semester, junior year. Everyone knows this is the hardest semester. So your coach may decide to give you a little bit of extra space because we know mental fatigue also can affect the body. Um, so those are other people who may fit into this category. And I actually did some uh, longer uh, microcycles. I did eight day weeks. And for me, it was two groups of three days on one day off rather than uh, the nine day week. And I thought this was nice because it wasn't, it didn't have that weird weekend of two days, two days and then a rest day is a bit weird to do like a Saturday, Sunday. So instead it was like, it just made the workouts very simple of we have a high intensity day, we have a moderate intensity day, we have an endurance day, we have a rest day. 
and then you you just tweak them based on if you're in base or build and so this can be a great way and if you are someone who has the flexibility in their time a lot of the reason why the standard periodization is a week is because a lot of people will have the saturdays and sundays to do their longer rides and do their longer workouts but if you're a rider who maybe isn't constrained by the standard seven day week you could potentially do something like eight or nine days and it gives you uh, more flexibility and gives the coach or you more control over the workouts that you pick yeah i think that you hit the nail on the head there we're constrained to a seven day week because that's what the calendar tells us we have and yes weekends do occur on saturday and sunday and most of those don't work but i think we we look at a calendar and we want to map everything to the calendar so it fits nicely for planning purposes but we don't have to be constrained by the calendar yeah, even if you know, you're know you single and you always have three hours at night after your job, you can guarantee that you can do any workout on any day of the week. Something like that could be someone who could uh, benefit from a, a non-seven-day week. Okay, so now we're it's a perfect segue. We're going to go from the, well, if you have no time constraints, just go and you can adjust your schedule to eight, nine-day week, depending on what makes sense. We're going to go the other end. So, well, what if your time is limited? How do you adjust your periodization to make sure that you're getting the optimal adaptation. And this isn't to say that, oh, you only have, say, six hours a week to train. I'm thinking more with this particular adaptation along the long hours that you need to really develop your base. And maybe you're, based on your level of experience and the training you're looking to do, let's say your longest base week is 15 hours. But realistically, you just can't do that job, family, whatever it is, maybe you can do 11 to 12 hours and that's, that's it. That's just the hours that you can devote to your training. How do you go through and try to make sure that you're getting the most out of your base training and really develop that base fitness, knowing that your time doesn't necessarily allow for the ideal progression through that base mesocycle. So a couple of different approaches here. One is you say, well, look, I only have 12 hours a week. Fine. Now, if that's true, then if you're using power, you may be able to look at your training stress score and know what your projected training stress score should be for a 15-hour base week and actually just bump a workout or part of a workout up a zone potentially to be able to get up to that TSS level. So basically what you're trying to do is match the TSS per microcycle to the prescribed amount without matching the time. So keeping the time a little bit shorter within your individual time constraints. So maybe not ideal, ideal for base, but that is one way because at the end of the day, we are looking at stress and training load and stress and how much stress we can get from the training. And so that's one approach is to say, well, I'm gonna go a little bit harder uh, within this cycle to be able to get the training stress that I need on a little bit less time. So that's one approach. Now, the second approach to this, and this would work for either your base or your build cycles, and it's to borrow a little bit. So let's say maybe you have 11, 12 hours, but there's a little flexibility, but you're not going to get to the 15. What you could do in that case is keep the intensity the same. So we're not going to adjust the intensity, but we're going to flatten the progression a little bit. And so you're going to borrow the time and from the longest week and move it to the shorter weeks uh, within the mesocycle. So, you know, if you're supposed to do 15, you're going to take those three hours. I mean, that's all, you know, you can only do 12. You're going to take those three hours, 
and distribute it in the other two weeks. So again, now with that approach, the intensity is going to stay the same. The volume, you're not going to get that progressive increase over the mesocycle. It's going to be a little bit flatter because you borrowed the time and put it forward in the other weeks. And so if you've built yourself up to the point where you can handle that, that is a reasonable approach to make sure that you get the training volume and intensity within the cycle. Right. And so just to clarify a little bit, sometimes for base, you'll see something like um, your first week of base is nine hours, the next week is 12, and the next week is 15. And so instead, you might see something like 10, 12, 14 would be a flatter. That, that's what Todd means by flatter. Moving the time around so the total time is the same allows you to get the total TSS in the correct zone, but it doesn't have as steep of a progression. I mean, that makes sense. I don't think that would really dramatically change your stimulus as long as you're able to handle that first week. Usually the reason the first week right. is light is because we are kind of worried that you can actually make it through it. So as long as you can make it through the extra bump in the first week, you should be fine to get about the same stimulus. In terms of bumping up a zone, I think that's really an interesting idea because, like for example, a lot of my base rides are out on the far side of the ridge, and on the way home, you have to pick one of three 40-minute climbs to get home. And if I can get into the bottom half of tempo going over those climbs, and as long as my cadence is high enough, you don't want to go into muscle endurance in your endurance training. But if you can get a little bit into tempo, your TSS goes up a fair bit, but your total time doesn't increase. So you can get a bit of a higher quality workout if you can get a little bit of time up into tempo on your endurance rides. So I absolutely think that's a great way to just introduce a little more stimulus. But once again, increasing the time in a higher zone is going to increase the fatigue as well. So when you crunch your efforts together and you increase the zone, you're going to have to do more recovery as well. So be really careful about bumping up a zone. You have to make sure you also recover enough, which if you are time crunched, that can be a good way to ensure that you have enough recovery because you you just don't have enough time to fatigue your muscles enough that you can't recover from them. So th there is a fine balance there. Just be careful that you you always have enough legs to finish the next day's workout. Yeah, and to be fair, there's there's probably, I mean, everyone kind of talks about the A or B. You can only do one of these two things. And the reality is you can probably mix and match a little bit, uh, but probably shouldn't go like all in on both. Like, oh, I'm going to just increase the intensity and, you know, borrow the duration across the week. So it's going to be totally even. Like that's probably not going to work for you so well because the first or second weeks, I would imagine, won't, won't go as planned. So sure. you should probably pick one pick one or the other depending on what makes the most sense for you or i could i could imagine a world where you mix and match within with different mesocycles right so for one cycle maybe you go uh, and you condense the time into the different weeks and the next maybe a different cycle you look at uh, keeping you know reducing the time but increasing the intensity a little bit but i can't see them necessarily being a good approach within the same cycle and one trick that a lot of more experienced riders will do if they are in this time-restricted scenario is they'll, for their one key week, that third week in the mesocycle, they'll take a day off of work or they'll finagle the schedule to allow for that one 15-hour week. Um, so if they're normally restricted to 12, they'll say, hmm, how can I get one more workout in? And they'll take off work. They'll uh, ask you know, someone to, to watch the kids or something like that and um, get that one key workout in. But then the next week they're back to that 12 restriction. So there's also that option of just, this is a one-time increase, but normally we're, we have some 
maximum hour that we're allowed to train. Okay, so now we get into the fun things, different approaches, uh, not regarding time or recovery, but just different structures of how you might plan your cycles. So Jason, this one you certainly talked about, and maybe it wasn't intentional from your competitors in the Boston area when you were in college, uh, but this is like reverse approach to your base versus build training. Okay. And what I'm going here is if it's cold and wintry and you can't get out for long miles on your bike and you don't have the mental wherewithal to do long based miles on the trainer, which I would definitely not blame you if you did not have that because I certainly don't. Your base training, your base periods would be you know, relatively high intensity and low volume. So I, I remember you talking about this, like, oh yeah, we got crushed in the early crits because all yeah, the good so, and we're doing trainer workouts for an hour. Right. The, so the, yeah, the full story is in collegiate, all the Northern kids. So I, I was in the Northeast for collegiate and um, my state was the lowest state in the region. So we could, we could do most of our endurance rides outside and we would get crushed in the early crits and we didn't understand why. And we would talk to other riders and they had said, oh, well in Boston, it's, you know, there's two feet of snow, so there's no endurance riding. So all we can do is all go to the gym together and do these killer one hour intervals. And of course, a crit is about the same length, so they would smash us. And then it comes to the road races, and naturally, we have the endurance to outpace them. And it's interesting, the dynamic of, uh, of the people who are stuck inside. So then, so you do the base that way, and then you would do your build cycles would be lower intensity, but higher volume. So you're kind of flipping the traditional script. Now, this doesn't really work well if you're going to race crits. So if you're planning to do crits, this approach isn't going to work. You should, you probably need to build your base and then do the higher intensity as you get into the build cycles. But if your racing is aerobic, maybe just getting into the anaerobic threshold, longer events like road races, this actually might work out pretty well for you. So just something to consider, like what, ask yourself what your event is and depending on the duration of your event, this so, road and your, you know, geography, perhaps this might actually work out okay for you. Is the protocol um, actually just to sh switch the base and build, just one basically, for one? Yep, just just flopping them over. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and I think the reason your argument that it wouldn't work for a crit rider is because the VO two max that you gain from your high intensity work is really going to start to decay pretty quickly after about six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so you would have to, if you wanted to pull this off as a higher intensity rider, you would have to put a little bit, like maybe once a week, do a VO2 max interval during your base, which would then sort of mess up your recovery and could limit your ability to do the endurance ride. So there would be some finagling, some uh, figuring out how they could all fit together. But it's certainly possible you build up a high VO2 max and then you get the endurance base behind it afterwards. It, it seems possible. And if, you know, in the example of these collegiate riders, if you have two months to be a strong crit rider and then you're done with the collegiate season, it's absolutely a good idea that works. to yeah. just do the high intensity work in the winter. But if you're looking to race the entire season from March all the way to August, you're going to have to get that base in there somewhere or people are really going to start to get away from you in the longer efforts. And then the trick is balancing out the loss or the decrease in VO2 max making sure it doesn't decay too much. So it, it would be an interesting balance and I'm sure you'd have to do regular testing to see and make sure that you're not losing that intensity as you work on your base. 
Absolutely. So now into more fun and interesting ways to mix up your your meso cycles, really. So one is the idea of doing, uh, this sort of fits a little bit with the time crunched approach. Uh, those are some similarities here, but without time constraint, doing an inverse meso cycle, which is to say that you start with the longest week and then your weeks actually get progressively shorter. So we typically think of you know, week one is the shortest week and you know the least intense, how you know, whatever, the least training stress in the first week. And then that builds up over time through the third week and then you have a recovery week. And what this is saying is that you actually turn that on its head in terms of the build weeks, not the, not the recovery week, but you do the most intense week first and then middle week is still the same. And then the least intense week of the cycle and then the recovery week. And this goes a little bit with the recovery possibly, but the thought is, well, maybe as you go through your weeks, you know, by the time you get to the third week, you have trouble getting in really high quality workouts because you've already built up fatigue from the prior weeks. And you, you're maybe not quite on the cusp of wanting to do a, a non-calendar week, an eight or nine day week. So perhaps what you do is flip it. So you do the, you come off a of recovery week, you bury yourself with a hard week, and then you do a slightly less hard week and a slightly less hard week after that. And so the easiest of the weeks is actually the one when you have the most fatigue already accumulated. But so, you know, psychologically too, it probably feels much more doable because you know, like, okay, well, uh, that intensity, that volume next week, even though I know I'm a little tired, isn't so bad. It's certainly less than what I've done to date. Sure. And I think this is definitely more beneficial for more experienced riders. Um, I notice, especially as a novice, it would be really tough to do a long hour week without building into it. But as a more experienced rider, it's not so hard to do like say you have two weeks off for some reason and you come back if you're a more experienced rider you can do that 15 hour week you just have that base fitness that you've built up over the years and it can be really tough and you can get this decay cycle that really hard 15 hour week it felt great i did really well but i'm tired and then realizing the next week is only 12 hours okay we can handle this so i could see the possibility for that as being possible but i i would say this is definitely for more experienced riders. I, I would agree with that. And it's interesting because there is some research out there looking at interval training. I don't, I don't know how much our listeners look at interval training research, but a, a lot of it follows a fairly standard pattern of two, sometimes three workouts over a, you know, two to three workouts a week for X number of weeks. And then they retest and see what the fitness changes were. Two is pretty typical. Uh, so there, there is one study out there that did basically five you know, so they still had eight workouts over this meso cycle, but they did five in the first week and then they did one the subsequent weeks. And, you know, it was equal, basically similar outcomes uh, in terms of improvement in fitness. Now, it sounds miserable to do five hard workouts in a week, but, you know, the point is it sort of simulates this idea of the inverse period. You, you front load it and then you do less over time. And lo and behold, you still get a similar outcome because, as we know, the intensity and the training stress was the same across the two different conditions. Sure, and I guess another analogy for this is it's similar to stage racing. And I think for stage racing, if, if you've ever done a stage race, you can sort of uh, get through the next day. If it's a three or four day stage race, you know, you just carbo load a bunch, you hydrate a bunch, and you just do whatever it takes to get through that next race. 
And this is kind of what this type reminds me of is let's get through that first week, whatever happens, it's only going to get easier from here. So if you're the type of rider who really struggles to ramp up or even stay flat, this could be a good option to get the same training load in uh, versus someone who would just be doing the typical cycle. Okay, so now to more fun alternatives to training, just different, different ideas. All this, all these things are inspired by Joel Friel and borrowed from his writings. And so this one's an undulating training approach, which he said is more common. I've certainly seen the weightlifting literature and that approach is sort of mixing things up in terms of what you're doing. And what he's saying here is alternating your weeks, the focus of the weeks between intensity and duration. So just to you know, use the terms we're familiar with, so build, you know, build cycle versus um, base music cycle, right? Our base music cycles are more duration focused and our build are gonna be relatively more intensity focused. And so what is suggested here is that for your base music cycle, what that would look like rather than three progressive weeks of greater hours at relatively low intensity, you would have the first week would be similar to your first, your typical first base week. You know, moderate amount of hours at low intensity. Your second week would look like a typical second build, first or second build week, where you have intensity of whatever area you're trying to focus on. And then your third week would look like a, a third base week, basically. So you're switching between the intensity and duration, and the fourth week is the typical recovery week. And then the next month, you would do the opposite. You would go build, base, build, recovery. Is that correct? Um, when you want, when you want to get to your build cycles, you would do build base build recovery. Yeah. So if okay. you want to do two, you know, two base cycles, your two base cycles would be base, build, base recovery, base, build, base recovery. And then your build cycles would be build base, build recovery, so on and so forth. And the idea is the total stress is the same. So it's, you're going to get a similar response from your body but it's not quite as boring of three weeks straight of endurance rides, or uh, it's not quite as mentally straining as three weeks straight of VO2 max intervals. Yep. I think that's exactly it. And then I, there is something where you're, you're not letting one system go very much in this regard, right? You're, you're constantly working on all the different systems, which, you know, is that good or a bad thing? That's, you know, TBD, right? Is it good or bad to, to flip flop between the two? And this one might be a, your mileage will vary. If you've done the traditional cycles before and you know what result you get, then I feel you know, as, as a writer, then maybe this is where you can go off down this path and say, well, I'm going to try this for a cycle or two and see, see what happens. See if I you know, mix it up, if I get a different result. Uh, because we do know that having that variety in training is one of the things that ultimately allows the body to get the desirable changes that we want so this might be a way to spice things up a little bit in order to get a better result i see it as if you if you know your body well enough for example i know that i don't need very many vo2 max intervals to really see those numbers improve so normally my coach and i we, we wouldn't do too many of them versus someone who maybe they really struggle to get the vo2 max engine coming up after a long base they may be more inclined to do this base build base um, because it it gives that reminder more often makes it so that when you get the engine moving it, it doesn't you know you never quite stop it so it never has to get going again so if, if you're someone who struggles getting into working on a new system you may want to look into this this system where you can hint that hey remember you have a vo2 max engine you you know don't forget about it 
And on the topic of sort of spicing up the workouts, I, I hope this isn't the sixth group, but there's also this idea of changing up the intervals within the mesocycle. So if your mesocycle is focusing on VO2 max, the first week could be four by six minutes, which is a great long VO2 max interval set. The next one could be more of these uh, 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off until you get to the same total number or slightly higher if we're building. And this is a way of, we're training the same zone still, but the monotony of go out there and do the same workout, but add one more interval isn't there because you are now doing shorter intervals and then you're back to longer. And it can be a way to spice things up mentally if you are the type to say, oh, another VO2 max interval. Uh, it can be a way to say, oh, well, this time we have to do it a little differently. So it's a little more mentally stimulating. I have to focus a bit more. It can be a way to make it so you get more out of the workouts because they're not quite as stale. I don't think that was the sixth one directly, but I think it hinted at it a little bit, which is to say, rather than necessarily spicing up within a particular zone, but it's uh, basically a block approach to your mesocycle, which is to say you're going all in on a specific uh, probably weakness uh, or particular trait that you want to train for an upcoming event. Right? So if you know that you have to do, you know, a five minute effort, or you know that you have to do a 20 minute climb, whatever it is, you're going all in on training that specific zone. And this is something that's more useful for elite level riders. Uh, for the most of us that are not at the high, high level in cycling, if we follow a standard periodization or maybe some of the um, modified periodization schedules that we've talked about through this episode, we should see a improvement in our fitness. Now, if we're at the top, top of our game um, and the you know, top of the sport, and we're looking for some little incremental improvement, we might get that by really going off into the weeds a little bit and just focusing in, in the, on the minutia of one zone and one zone only throughout a training program or throughout a mesocycle rather. Now, not just one zone, but the majority of your workouts are almost going to be focused on that zone. And then you may do some other workouts that have a, a complementary approach uh, in terms of like, okay, well, I'm going to do VO2 max, but I'm also going to do say a little bit of tempo or whatever it may be. Um, so you have to look at sort of two two types of workouts that you might do, but you're, you're all in and you're focused on just improving this one aspect of your riding. And that's, that's it. Looking for a very specific improvement in your performance. Yeah. And I think this is interesting. The point you made about it being for professional cyclists, as you improve as a rider and as you move up in the racing disciplines, your specificity increases. And the main reason for that is when we're cat ones, we can't be a cat one sprinter and a cat one time trialist, and a cat one hill climber all at the same time. And so the specificity is what allowed you to become a cat one. You're a better sprinter than all the cat twos, or you know, you're a better hill climber. And you'll see even more extreme at the pro level, there are riders who are sort of, you're the 20 minute climb kind of guy. That's what Phil Guyman was. Whenever there was a, a race with a 20 minute climb in it, you know, Phil, get to the front and drop half the field. And you'll see, you know, Mark Cavendish, you only sprint and we don't really care about anything else. Just make sure you can get over some of these climbs so you can make it to the finish. This specificity is essential to being really good at that thing you're specifying on. I think for the rest of us, it's important for us to be good in a variety of scenarios, 
because we don't get to really peak for one race. We're going to be racing throughout the season and the courses may change and we need to have competency in five minute climbs. We need to have competency in 20 minute climbs. We need to be able to sprint. We need to be able to, you know, work in the pack. We need to be able to do a lot of things in order to not get dropped. And we're not really racing for that one race. So for the rest of us, this may not so much apply unless you're the type of rider who is really, they really enjoy being really good at one thing. For example, in our area, there's Old La Honda, which is a pretty famous about 20 minute climb, unless you're really good, then it's 15 minutes. But there are some people who that's their metric for fitness. That's, they're not racers. They just enjoy improving their time in that area. This sort of block training could be a way for you to see the most benefit for that particular goal you have. And so focusing five of your six workouts for a given week on improving your 15 minute time, this could be the step that you need in order to get get down from 17 minutes to 15 minutes or something like that. And that would be the specific use for this block training. That's exactly it. It has a, it has a limited shelf life and limited application. But if you're looking for that very specific thing, then maybe you need to go down that path. However, to your point, and unless you're, you've, you know, exhausted the benefit you get from typical training, which most of us, I don't think truly have, then we may not see a, a tremendous value from, and maybe even actually an overall decrease uh, in our total capacity by being this, being very, very focused on just this one thing. Yeah. And I would say some unintentional examples of this are, I remember speaking with a rider who did, um, he took a couple months off work and did sort of riding around the U.S. and sort of wherever he wanted, you know, he'd, he'd find hostels or rent an Airbnb. And when he came back, he mentioned, I can't even go over tempo. Uh, like, I just have no legs for threshold or VO2 max or any of those things. And it's because he spent so much time in zone two that his legs sort of forgot how to do anything else. And that's an example of overspecificity. He felt like he got worse at cycling. Because although he could ride all day, eight hours, nine hours at a time, that's fine. It's easy. But when, when you want to go threshold, your legs don't respond or your actual threshold numbers drop by 10%. This isn't really what we want. We want to be able to do everything at least decently well. Even if we have something that we like to do a little bit more, we need to be able to do everything at least pretty well. Yep. I think that's the, that's the key, right? You need to be a complete rider. And for most of us being a complete rider means doing a little bit of everything. The other, the other piece here that we didn't touch on, we've touched on it before, is these elite level riders have a tremendous base that they're building on when they do this sort of block approach. So they have this tremendous base fitness that they're working from that most of us don't have. And so they're not really going to see that detriment to their performance that we might. Yeah, I think that's a really good point as well, Todd. And remembering that we're not professional cyclists and a lot of the points on periodization, Although they get you to the level of professional cyclist, they are more geared towards us amateurs who are trying to just be good at the sport. And they definitely have some different techniques that I think largely they don't even share with us. These uh, techniques that the pro pros use, one, because they probably aren't beneficial to us. Um, there are some stories of people finding the workouts of professional cyclists and trying to complete them and ending up getting horrible overtraining syndrome and issues like that. But the other thing is we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't have the base. We don't have the capacity to even handle those loads. And so publishing them or letting the public know about these workouts, one, 
then the coach doesn't get paid as much to uh, to train the rider. But two, it's it's not beneficial to us because there's all these prerequisites to complete that workout. Uh, for most of us, are years years down the road, if you know, if ever possible. Sure. I you know, I I think it's interesting when you hear about some of the workouts that uh, professional riders are doing. Like, oh yeah, that's that's a lot, or that's really intense. Like wow, that's that's something, and that's where you have to remember that well, one, they're professionals, and they have you know probably more time to do it than you do. And more, you know, but more resources. But from the physiological standpoint, they just have a fantastic base and a fantastic aerobic system. All all those pieces are all working and you know firing on all cylinders, and that's what makes it possible for them to do these workouts. That hopefully, to you, if you were to look at it like that, how is that possible? Should be your response. You know, how do you communicate to people how incredible these efforts are when when they post their power numbers from Perry Perry Roubaix or something? It's if you know power numbers, you're like, oh, that's that's some power. But how do you communicate that to someone who is even less experienced? So it's tough. It's a tough balance. I would say for most of us, let's look at the numbers and be impressed, but don't read into them too much. And um, this is just a good advice for anyone who's trying to train as a cyclist and trying to improve their racing is the less time you spend comparing yourself to other people, the better. You're going to go absolutely crazy if... There's other riders in your category also chasing upgrade points that you're comparing yourself to, or people who started the same year as you who are doing better than you. It's going to drive you up a wall. And the truth is, it's hard to compare where we all started from. It's hard to compare what our goals are. They may be doing really well because they're optimizing for a goal that allows them to sprint better than you, but you're a road racer, so you don't need to focus on sprinting. And trying to compare and Create the this analysis is one. It increases your stress levels, and two, it's not even useful. It doesn't actually tell us anything. So, be really careful about your comparing yourself too much. The best thing to do is just compare yourself from six months ago, twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, and see an upward progression. And as long as that's happening, you're moving in the right direction. And you should focus on how do we make that slope of increase greater? How do we improve month over month the most? And before you know it, you'll look back and say, hey, I'm a lot stronger than I used to be. I think that's the part that matters. And if you're chasing times or results or whatever it is, if you're consistently improving, and that's the beauty of power meters and such that we can consistently measure these things, then that's the objective. And whatever the result is that you're chasing, that will come if, you know, if it's on the slope of that line. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what Bradley Wiggins said about his Tour de France. He said, well, I knew I was going to do well because the power numbers said it. I, I wasn't focusing on doing well in, in the Tour de France. I was focusing on getting the power numbers that I knew would give me an opportunity to do well. Focusing on how do I become the best athlete I can. From there, we'll, you know, we'll, let's see what happens after that. And it's because, one, we don't know what's going to happen in the race. You could uh, you know, break your collarbone day one in the Tour de France. But two, it's, it's really about how do we become the best athlete and prepare ourselves as best as possible for our event? And so just focusing on yourself, becoming the best athlete you can be and sticking to it. That's the big key to, to really getting fast. Yeah, absolutely. That consistency is a huge, a huge factor. I, mean, I think all the things we talk about periodization or VO2 max or threshold, or, you know, whatever terms we throw around, you know, those things are all great and they're all great guiding principles. But I think at the end of the day, being consistent, uh, is I think often overlooked, but in, incredibly important 
uh, you know, you're all the, all these great meso cycles and everything don't work terribly well if you're not consistent in, in following them and following the steps of the program along the way. And I would even make the argument that this episode is about how to be consistent when you can't do a standard periodization. These are other techniques that allow you to maintain your consistency without necessarily being as rigid as the standard periodization. So make these adaptations if you need to in order to stay on the path to continue to improve. Well, well said. I, had nef- I definitely not thought about it like that, but I can certainly see that perspective. These are adaptations to the plan to make sure that you get the necessary load and the ad- adaptation that you're looking for. All right. So is that uh, we're done your list? We've... Uh covered everything for this we've, episode. We've covered all the pieces of the list and all, all the different ways that you can uh, adapt your, your mesocycles in order to keep your, your training consistent and fit into and get the benefits of periodization. So I have, I have nothing more to add. All right. I just want to say quickly, um, thank you all for listening. And if you want, you can give us a rating or a review. And that helps us just improve in the search ratings and um, helps us reach more people, which of course, we're here to uh, share our experiences and get out to more people. So if you'd like, uh, you can give us rating review. Todd, if you have anything else. Well, as I always say, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the riverside down.